Let us now turn to God's holy word. We turn to the book of 2 Samuel and the 6th chapter. The book of 2 Samuel and the chapter 6. This is the word of the Lord. Come, let us hear together God's holy word. 2 Samuel chapter 6, commencing reading of the verse 1. Again, David gathered together all the chosen men of Israel, 30,000. And David arose and went with all the people that were with him from Bale of Judah to bring up from thence the ark of God, whose name is called by the name of the Lord of hosts, that dwelleth between the cherubims. And they set the ark of God upon a new cart and brought it out of the house of Abinadab that was in Gibeah, and Uzzah and Aho. The sons of Abinadab drave the new cart, and they brought it out of the house of Abinadab, which was at Gibeah, accompanying the ark of God. And Aho went before the ark. And David and all the house of Israel played before the Lord on all manner of instruments made of firwood, even on harps, and on psalteries, and on timbrels, and on cornets, and on cymbals. And when they came to Nacon's threshing floor, Uzzah put forth his hand to the ark of God and took hold of it, for the oxen shook it. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Uzzah, and God smote him there for his error. There he died by the ark of God. And David was displeased because the Lord had made a breach upon Uzzah. And he called the name of the place Perez Uzzah to this day. And David was afraid of the Lord that day and said, How shall the ark of the Lord come to me? So David would not remove the ark of the Lord unto him into the city of David. But David carried it aside into the house of Obededim, the Gittite. And the ark of the Lord continued in the house of Obededim, the Gittite, three months. And the Lord blessed Obededim and all his household. And it was told King David, saying, The Lord hath blessed the house of Obededim and all that pertaineth unto him, because the ark of God. So David went and brought up the ark of God from the house of Obededim into the city of David with gladness. And it was so that when they that bear the ark of the Lord had gone six paces, he sacrificed oxen and fatlings, and David danced before the Lord with all his might, and David was girded with a linen ephod. So David and all the house of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouting and with the sound of the trumpet. And as the ark of the Lord came into the city of David, Michal, Saul's daughter, looked through a window and saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord. And she despised him in her heart. And they brought in the ark of the Lord and set it in his place in the midst of the tabernacle that David had pitched for it. And David offered burnt offerings and peace offerings before the Lord. And as soon as David had made an end of offering burnt offerings and peace offerings, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord of hosts. 
And he dealt among all the people, even among the whole multitude of Israel, as well as to the woman as men. To everyone a cake of bread and a good piece of flesh and a flagon of wine. So all the people departed every one to his house. But David returned to bless his household. And Michal, the daughter of Saul, came out to meet David and said, How glorious was the king of Israel today, who uncovered himself today in the eyes of the handmaids of his servants, as one of the vain fellows shamelessly uncovereth himself. And David said unto Michal, It was before the Lord, which chose me before thy father and before all his house, to appoint me ruler over the people of the Lord. Over Israel, therefore, will I play before the Lord, and I will yet be more vile than thus, and will be base in mine own sight, and of the maidservants which thou hast spoken of, of them shall I be had in honor. Therefore Michal, the daughter of Saul, had no child unto the day of her death. Amen. So reads the infallible, inerrant, and sacred word of our God. May the Lord bless that public reading of his word to our needful and never-dying souls here today. Let us draw near by faith. Let us come and let us pray and seek the Lord this morning. Well, dear congregation, I ask you to please turn your prayerful attention once again to the passage that I read to you in your hearing there in Second Samuel and the chapter 6. This is our second sermon in this chapter, chapter 6. We began to look at last week and we saw the first half of the chapter. And I remind you, first of all, what we saw in the verses 1 to 2, we see David now being made king over all Israel, seeking the people's counsel. And of course, they were all in agreement that the ark should come into Jerusalem, but David disregarded the word of God. There was a certain way, of course. We thought of four things that were necessary for the ark of the covenant to come into Israel had to be done. In fact, if the ark was to be transported anywhere, It had to be transported in a certain manner. The Ark of the Covenant represented God's holy presence. Remember how he said how he dwelt there amongst the cherubim, between the cherubim, on that blood-sprinkled mercy seat where he would meet with sinners. And on a number of occasions, the Lord showed his presence there. The Shekinah glory of the Lord came down there upon the Ark, and God displayed his person, his power, and his glory there. And remember that the Ark of the Covenant was kept in the house of Abinadab for many years. The man is still alive here, but his sons lead in the procession of the Ark leaving Abinadab's house. It was there for many years, perhaps over 50 years in that house. And we note here, it's quite striking that the oxen uh, shook. The oxen, the very creatures of God, shook, and the ark, uh, as it were, trembled. If you notice verse 6, and when they came to 
Nakon's threshing floor, Uzzah put forth his hand to the ark of God and took hold of it, for the oxen shook it. Of course, God is over all creatures, isn't he? Over all animals. Wasn't that they hit a stone or anything like that? God, his patience is finally running out. The ark should never have been transported in this way. It was meant to be carried with those special staves through the golden ringlets, never to be touched by human hands. It represented the holiness and the glory and the majesty of God. And then when Uzzah touched the ark, trying to steady it, he was struck dead. And we noticed last time it was carried on a new cart, just like the Philistines, how they carried the ark away. Of course, well, they were smitten with boils and many other things, tumors, not so much for the way in which the ark was carried, but the, just the very presence of the ark amongst the Philistines brought them great trouble and there was great death there. But God's people, here the Israelites, namely, and even David, a man after God's own heart, should have known and should have consulted the Scriptures. Uh, but he didn't. And Uzzah, the son of Abinadab, perhaps, as we said last week, maybe a little too over-familiar with the ark, thinks he can just steady it, but God is grieved. And then David was brought, remember, to think or to rethink his approach to this whole affair. How is God uh, to be worshipped? Well, he is to be honored. God is to be approached reverently. David was full of zeal for the Lord, but zeal is not enough. Obedience is what God requires, doesn't he? He had a knowledge, or he had a zeal, should we say, without knowledge. And that is not sufficient. We, If we are zealous for the Lord and if we love the Lord, we want to search out the word of God. and We want to learn what God says, what pleases him. And it was during that time that after this, for three months, the ark was kept in the home of Obededon. And we noticed there, we thought of it last week, how the Lord blessed the household of Obededon while it was there. And so all of Israel could see, and particularly David could see, that the ark would bring blessing. God's presence would bring blessing. But God needs to be honored. God needs to be approached reverently. God will bless a people, just like the home of Obededom. But God must be reverenced, God must be obeyed. And so that was the lesson that David learned. Yes, David was grieved. He was grieved at all that had happened. And David perhaps even feeling quite partly responsible for this. Remember, after all, it was David, it was his idea to bring the Ark of the Covenant into Jerusalem. Uzzah should have known better. Abinadab should have known better. They all should have known better. But lessons are being learnt. God is to be reverenced. God can and does dwell with his people. But there are certain things that must be seriously uh, done if God is to bless a people. Now today, with the Lord's help, verses 12 
to the verse 23, we conclude this chapter. And what we see, really, what we could say over the rest of this chapter, verse 12 to verse 23, is David's spirit contrasted to Saul's spirit, which was very much in the heart of his daughter. His daughter Michal, Saul is now dead. She seems to have very much the same spirit as her father, as we'll consider this morning. David was a man who didn't always get things right, but he was a man that loved the Lord. That we can say of David. Unlike Saul, Saul was a formalist. And Michal is very much a formalist. A form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. Well, unlike Saul, David is a different man. And here, the daughter of Michal seems to follow in her father's ways. Now, you'll find in this chapter a wonderful balance of what the psalmist says in Psalm 2. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Those two aspects always ought to be in our worship. We were thinking very much last week about true biblical worship. There are to be those two elements, the fear of the Lord. Serve the Lord with fear. But that does not mean to say that there is no joy when we worship the Lord. David had true joy in his worship. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Now this seems to be a little bit of an oxymoron to the world. The world may think, how can you have joy when you fear God? Well, of course, it's a filial fear for God, isn't it? It's a proper reverence and an honor for Him. And that brings us the deepest sense of joy that we can know that we're not just worshiping anything, but the supreme being, the one who is worthy of all of our love and our devotion, the one who is worthy, infinitely worthy, of our poor hearts. Now David in chapter 5, you remember, has just been made king. And uh, what did he do? He, By the help of God, he defeated all the Philistines. and He took Jerusalem. Remember, Jerusalem was being held captives for many, many, many centuries by the Jebusites. Jerusalem's fallen. The Philistines have been defeated. David has shown himself to be the true king and the one who loves the Lord. But David wants God to take his rightful place in the city of God. Indeed, the city of Jerusalem, also called the city of David. The crowning glory for David is the Ark of the Covenant to come into the tabernacle in the midst of the people, in the midst of Israel. As we said earlier, the Ark represented God's glory. And God is simply being given His rightful place, the place of honor amidst the people. We know that whenever the Ark was transported, the Ark was right in the midst. You notice ever Consider as we have in the book of Numbers before in our studies how as the tribes traveled and even when they camped, the ark was always in the midst. And here now we have the ark in the midst of Jerusalem. But by way of contrast, 
Do you remember when Saul was king? What did he do? He didn't want to crown God as supreme king. If you turn to 1 Samuel 15, 12 there, just after the battle against the Amalekites, remember how Saul was to completely slay everything of the Amalekites, the livestock and even the king, but Saul spared King Agag and uh, showed him round as some sort of live trophy. And remember when Samuel came and Samuel heard the bleating of the sheep and it was realized that Saul didn't slay everything. And what happened right after that? Well, in verse 12 of 1 Samuel 15, after he slew some of the Amalekites but didn't uh, slay the king, spared some of the livestock, we read verse 12, 1 Samuel 15, when Samuel rose early to meet Saul in the morning, it was told Samuel, saying, Saul came to Carmel, and behold, he set him up a place, and is gone about, and passed on, and gone down to Gilgal. Saul, instead of honoring God, set up monuments to himself. He set himself up a place. You remember our studies. But David is quite different. David wants to glorify God. David does not want to make a name for himself like Saul, a very different king. And if you look at verse 14 of 1 Samuel 15, And Samuel said, What meaneth then this bleating of the sheep in mine ears, and the lowing of the oxen which I hear? Well, he didn't obey God, did he? And uh, whereas David was a man who did seek to honor the Lord, he wasn't perfect, but when David failed... In the earlier part of this chapter here, 2 Samuel 6, David sought to reform himself, didn't he? And as Christians, we are reforming, aren't we? We should be at least. We're not fully reformed. We say we're reformed Baptists. But it doesn't mean to say we have arrived. But we are reforming in our worship and our understanding. And uh, our worship should be becoming more reverent and more joyful at the same time. And that's how it ought to be. But this could never be said of Saul. Remember, Saul had a form of godliness, but he denied the power. He wasn't truly a man who delighted to honor God. He wanted to be honored, or he wanted to be king, and he wanted to be honored in the land, and he set up a monument for himself. But David wanted the Lord to be glorified amidst the people. And so you notice As we saw last week in chapter 6 here, verse 13, then immediately as the ark proceeds from the house of Obededom, they just take six paces. The ark is upon the shoulders of the men. Now it's not upon the ark, uh, 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 a new cart. And it was so that when they bear the ark, that is, they carried it on their shoulders of the Lord, they had gone six paces, he sacrificed oxen and fatlings. Now, in our study this morning, as we look at the remainder of this chapter, there are a number of things that I want us to notice and vital lessons to learn. And the first is this, as we come to the verse 14, as we see David and the men bearing the ark as they're making their way into Jerusalem now, the Lord is pleased because 
things are done in a right and proper manner to bless the people. The first thing I want us to see here is, and just to consider, as we look at verses 14 and 15, these have to be perhaps some of the most misunderstood verses by the charismatic church today and the contemporary church movement today. Let me read the verses to you. And David danced before the Lord with all his might. And David was girded with a linen ephod. So David and all the house of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouting and with the sound of the trumpet. And the first thing we need to say is this, this is not in the church. This is a national procession. This is taking place, in fact, even outside of Jerusalem. But the charismatics like to use this passage to justify dancing in the church. Is that what we see in the Bible? I would say no, not at all. Many like to use this passage. Well, if they're going to use this passage, well, first of all, if it, it's not in the church, but then if you're going to use this passage to justify dancing in the church, you need trumpets, you need a linen ephod, you need some cakes, and you need some sacrifices. You need also, especially, the Ark of the Covenant. You need all of these things to justify what the modern church tries to do today. But I suppose they don't want all that. They don't want the Ark of the Covenant, and so on. And by the way, there's no falling down on the floor. And by the way, the word here for danced is the Hebrew word kara, which means to whirl. That's what the word means. You look it up in a Hebrew lectionary, it means to whirl. And if you notice, there's no drums here. It's not to a drum beat, no drums whatsoever. So it's not a thump, but it's a whirl. In other words, he walked. As he walked, he whirled. It says there, notice he was leaping. He was leaping as well. As he walked into Israel, into Jerusalem, he was leaping. You come down, as we'll see in these verses. Now, within the temple were, and first of all, ceremonial worship. If you turn with me to First Chronicles 16, there are certain instruments that were appointed for temple worship in the Old Testament. And David had appointed certain of the Levites, had to be certain men to play certain instruments. It says, 1 Chronicles 16.4, And he appointed certain of the Levites, you see that there, to minister before the ark of the Lord, and to record, and to thank, and to praise the Lord God of Israel. Asaph the chief, Next to him, Zechariah, Jael, and Sherimoth, and Jehiel, and Mattithiah, and Eliab, and Benaiah, and Obadidim, and Jael with psalteries and with harps. But Asaph made a sound with the cymbals, Benaiah also. Now this was before the ark when it came in. And by the way, there's no dancing here in the temple, in the tabernacle, whatsoever. Then you come to Second Chronicles 5, verse 12. 
Also the Levites, which were singers, all of them, Asaph and Heman and Jeduthun, with their sons and their brethren, being arrayed in white linen. Here's another thing. If you're going to take part in this, if this Old Testament ceremonial worship was to be practiced, would you go to wear white linen? Having cymbals and psalteries and harps, stood at the east end of the altar with them and 120 priests sounding with trumpets. And then again, if you turn to Second Chronicles 29 and the verse 25, and he set the Levites in the house of the Lord with cymbals and with psalteries and with harps, according to the commandment of David and of Gad, the king's seer, and Nathan the prophet, and so on. So these were given by God through David, through Gad also, and Nathan the prophet. So divine revelation as to these certain practices within this ceremonial worship that was actually in the temple. But here David is not in the temple. He's not in the tabernacle. They're making their way into Jerusalem. And the idea, you see, that David did hear what he did without divine revelation and guidance is simply absurd. After all, the Lord has just struck Uzzah for touching the ark. Dare David do anything that God has not commanded? I think David is being very cautious if anything, but there is joy nonetheless in him as he worships the Lord. The idea that David just simply thought it was a good idea to do what he did in a a linen ephod is simply absurd. The second thing, a false report and a wrong spirit in Mikhail. A false report and a wrong spirit in Mikhail. We notice in the verse 16, And as the ark of the Lord came into the city of David, Michal, Saul's daughter, looked through a window and saw David leaping. Now there's the word. I said leaping before and dancing before the Lord. So whirling is also the word. And she despised him in her heart. Now first of all, a false report. She says later that he was naked. But we don't read that. We're not told that. Or that he was bare. It simply means, and all the best commentators suggest, that he took off his kingly garb. He took off his kingly robes. doesn't mean that he was bare-chested and then wearing some linen ephod over it. it. That's not the case. I don't think David would be so irreverent. But it says here that she saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord, and she despised him in her heart. Now the word here, despised, is the word which means to have a low opinion of. She thought very low of David. Well, as she looked down from the window, she actually looked down upon him in her heart too. Because she didn't esteem this sort of thing. She, she liked David, the, the glorious warrior, the king upon his throne with his crown 
in all of his regal garb. Her husband, the great king, but not David here, as the one who is wholeheartedly giving his soul in worship to the Lord. She admired David, her husband, the conquering king. She admired him on his throne with his crown and all of his regal apparel. Yes, she admired and she wanted the nobility and the grandeur and the eloquence that came with being a king and a king's wife. That was the husband that she loved. But when she saw him wearing a simple linen ephod and leaping like a young boy, as it were, filled with joy in the Lord, it was beneath her. She despised him. You see, Mikhail is very much like her father, who had no heart for the Lord and no joy for the Lord. If what David is doing is wrong here, Let me say, friends, we don't find it in Scripture. There's not a word spoken out against David. And again, I say this is public in terms of the procession. It's not in the tabernacle. But Michal was like her father, who had no heart for God, no joy in the Lord. Rather, she loved the honor and the praise of men. And this was getting at her because as she looked at her husband, she She felt ashamed. And what are the people thinking of him? He's not the great king. But a simple, humble, humble worshiper of the Lord. She didn't love the worshiping David. This simplistic joy was ignoble in her eyes. It was beneath the grand office of a king. You see what is being Put forward here, but David, you see, he was so filled with joy on the inside that it showed outwardly. It showed in his walk, in his step, and let me say this, it ought to be in our step as Christians, as we walk through the wilderness of this world. How do people see we walk? Is there joy? Is there, as it were, a skip in our step? I don't mean literally. But can the world see that there is joy in your heart? Is your walk with God real? Are you filled with joy? Friends, we're not talking here about the superficial giddiness of the charismatic movement, about people falling on the floor. That's not what we're dealing with here. People behaving like animals but we're talking about real spiritual worship and thankfulness. Notice in the verse 17, And they brought in the ark of the Lord and set it in his place, in the midst of the tabernacle that David had pitched for it. And David offered burnt offerings and peace offerings before the Lord. And you notice here, David makes a feast. And everyone receives something. This is a national event. God is receiving his rightful place here amidst the people. And as soon as David made an end of offering, burnt offerings, verse 18, and peace offerings, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord of hosts. And he dealt among the people 
even among the whole multitude of Israel, as well as to the, the woman, as men, to everyone a cake of bread and a good piece of flesh and a flagon of wine. So all the people departed everyone to his house. And we do not meet with any disapproval of this anywhere in the Scriptures. In fact, this is a great day in the eyes of the people and in the eyes of the Lord. Everyone was provided for here, bread and a flagon of wine and meat. And there's nothing here that condemns David's actions, nor Israel's celebrations. It was a time of rejoicing. Now, finally, matters at home. Verse 20 to verse 22. Then David returned to bless his household. And David returned to bless his household. As you know, David sadly had many wives. We've read of this in the previous chapter. That was never sanctioned by God. That was wrong. But he returned to bless his home, his sons, his daughters. And Michal, his first wife here, the daughter of Saul, we notice she comes out to meet him, and it's not with a smile upon her face, but with anger and uh, a very unfriendly encounter. Notice, and Michal, the daughter of Saul, came out to meet David and said, How glorious, of course this is sarcasm, was the king of Israel today, who uncovered himself today in the eyes of the handmaids, of his servants. Now, this is what she is saying. This is her interpretation. The scriptures don't say this. This is what she says. He uncovered himself. Maybe it simply means he took off his royal garb, his kingly robes. And some interpret this to mean that David actually had no shirt on or anything like that. As one of the vain fellows shamelessly uncovereth himself. Now the scriptures, as I said, do not tell us anywhere that David was naked or that he had no clothes on. But here it's quite possible that, and I think the commentators are right, Michal is suggesting here that David just moved his kingly robes. But to her, it was like having nothing on at all, because this was David's all to her, a king. She would not have him any other way. She did not like what she saw. Now she uses hyperbole. And you'll notice what David does. He uses hyperbole as well. And David said unto Michal, It was before the Lord, which chose me before thy father and before all his house, to appoint me ruler over the people of the Lord, over Israel, Therefore will I play before the Lord. He says this was before the Lord. I did it for God. I didn't do this for anybody else, but I did it for the Lord. It was genuine. And you notice what he says in effect. God has made me who I am. He says, I am who I am. I owe all to God. It is God, notice, that has set me, chose me before thy father and before all his house. You just remember it was the Lord who has appointed me to this position, and I owe everything to God. And what I do, I do to Him, and to honor Him, and to please Him. It's not for men, 
It's not for the the so-called woman that you think I'm trying to impress. But it's to God. And you notice how he uses hyperbole in the verse 22. And I will yet be more vile than thus. And will be base in mine own sight. And of the maidservants which thou hast spoken of. Of them shall I be had in honor. He says, in effect, if you think that this joy and honor is vile, I'll do more. Because I'll be filled with joy to the Lord. I'll be more vile than this. He doesn't mean literally. He means if this makes you embarrassed, beware. I'll be more vile to the Lord. He's using hyperbole here. In effect, he says, as one commentator says, before the ark, I'll sing the praises of God. Be reckoned as a lessening of me. If it be so, I will be more and more found in doing such things. I will be base, he says, notice there, in mine own sight. If this is what God requires of me, I'll do it, even if it's to my shame. You see, David could not stop admiring the grace and the goodness of God. Just think of it. Uzzah has been struck. David is partly responsible because David ordered it. And that's why when they took six paces, David rejoiced and sacrifices were made. Why? Because David knew what he deserved. I'll bless God and I'll rejoice with a skip, with a will, with a leap, because God has had mercy on me. David could not stop admiring the grace and the goodness of God. And he could never condescend too low to exalt the Lord and magnify the riches of his goodness. That was David's heart. And he says, And of the maidservants which thou hast spoken of, them shall I be had in honor. These ones that truly look at me not simply as the king, but the king who loves the king of kings, I will be had in honor of them. These are my real people. You don't just admire a man because he's got a broad set of shoulders and has a royal purple robe, but the one who has a heart ablaze for God. I'll be had in honor by those people. Those are my people. You see, those who truly admired David, in this sense, admired a humble man because that is exactly what David was. You see, in contrast, Saul was not humble. And Michal has just the spirit of her father. And there is, let me say, two things to avoid, friends. Legalism. And flippancy. Flippancy, early part of the chapter. And that was David at first, wasn't it? There was a zeal, 
but he ought to have been a lot more cautious. But then the trouble is, you see, you can resort to dead legalism and there's no joy. Michal, she loved David, the royal conqueror, who slayed his tens of thousands, but not David, the worshiper. She didn't like it when David was engaged in such wholehearted worship before the Lord. She despised it because she was just like her father. She didn't know the Lord. I believe, remember Michal had an idol in her bed. Do you remember that? Do you remember when she was hiding David in the home? And what was in the bed there? It was an idol. And uh, one wonders about the heart of Michal. Was she really saved after all? Well, we don't know. Heaven will reveal. Will it not? But remember the word to her father Saul who did not honor the Lord. In 1 Samuel 2.30, Wherefore the Lord God of Israel saith, Indeed, that thy house and the throne of thy father should walk before me forever. But now the Lord saith, Be it far from me, for them that honor me I will honor, and they that despise me shall be lightly esteemed. Saul despised the Lord and his commandments and the Lord will not honor Saul and that's why he was not king for long. But the Lord honors them that love him and that are prepared even to be ashamed for his name's sake and to honor him. Oh, she, she was like her father. A little bit of religion, that's all right. But royalty and pomp, that's all very important. She couldn't do away with that. If there's something to be got out of it, religion is fine. It has its place if it's advantageous. But you see, there was no joy, there was no grace in God. And let me say, many in Reformed churches are just like that. People who do not know the grace of God. And it's the grace of God, my friend, that teaches this. To know that you are such an unworthy sinner. Doesn't that produce joy to know that you're forgiven? And that was the spirit of David. Saul did not know forgiveness. David was worshipping because he understood the grace of God. He understood that he deserved to be slain just like Uzzah. The grace of God. May David truly worship. And friends, if we have any faith, it is God that gave it because faith comes entirely because of the grace of God that quickens us and makes us born again so that we receive repentance and faith. But the formalist is, is interested only in his own form, in his appearance before men. Just like Michal here and her father, and such people are happy to go along with the status quo, but not to find out what pleases God. The true Christian wants to please God. And there are so many like that today. As I said, we are to avoid two things. 
flippancy and formalism. Flippancy and formalism. The two ditches. The charismatics, flippancy. And then there are formalists who never seem to rejoice because they are concerned about what other people think. My friends, the fear of God is a wonderful thing. But where the fear of God is, it's not inconsistent to have joy with God. The two do go together. Some people think they they don't, but they do. And we learn this in the Scriptures. We shouldn't be surprised at Michal, should we? And there are many like her today, and like her father. I said earlier about that idol that she had, 1 Samuel 19, 16, and when the messengers were come in, behold, there was an image in the bed. The word there is idol, with a pillow of goat's hair for his bolster. Now the result is this, if you notice in verse 23 here, therefore Michal, the daughter of Saul, had no child unto the day of her death. Do you notice that in the verse 23? As a result of this, therefore, and that's what that word imposes upon us, the context forces that upon us, therefore Michal, the daughter of Saul, had no child until the day of of her death. Now, if you turn to 2 Samuel 21, and you notice in verse 7 to 8, while Michal had no sons, she raised up five children for another woman. But you notice what happens to them, all again in the providence of God. 2 Samuel 21, verse 7, but the king spared Mephibosheth. And you remember who Mephibosheth was of the, the line of Jonathan. And Mephibosheth was spared on account of the covenant that David had made with Jonathan. But the king spared Mephibosheth. Remember, he was a lame man, the son of Jonathan, the Saul, the son of Saul, because of the Lord's oath that was between them, between David and Jonathan, the son of Saul. But the king took the two sons of Rispah the daughter of Ahah, whom she bare unto Saul, Armoni and Mephibosheth, and the five sons of Michal. Now notice, the daughter of Saul, whom she, that is Michal, brought up for Adriel, the son of Barzeliah, the Maholathite, and delivered them into the hands of the Gibeonites, and they hanged them, in the hill before the Lord. And they fell all seven together and were put to death in the days of harvest, in the first days, in the beginning of the barley harvest. Solemn, isn't it? Not only did this woman not have children, and God is saying in effect, because remember Saul's house was to be cut off, and no one from Saul's line although she was given to David as a gift. You remember for those foreskins of the Philistines, this woman would not see her seed upon David's throne. Now at the heart of this, this woman did not have a heart for God, did she? 
She despised David's worship. And friends, it's a terrible thing to despise true worship. Granted, David was not a perfect man. He was a man who reformed. But when he reformed, she hated true biblical reform. Now, do we despise that which is good, which the Lord despises? I hope not. And we see that these five sons, even that she brings up, were all slain in the end, although they weren't hers. She had none. And so the Lord makes sure here that her line, that of Saul, received no royal dignity. That's what she wanted. Royal dignity. Well, what is the Lord saying in this? Those that honor me, I will honor. But those that don't honor me, that want the honor and the praise of men, my friends, yes, when we come into the house of God, we need to do things right. There must be reverence but not a dead formalism. Neither flippancy. I hope you see this. We avoid the two ditches, flippancy and formalism. Formalism is to impress men. And let me tell you, there's preachers. There are preachers. They were not even happy when a preacher raises his voice in joy for the Lord. Let me say this, I cannot help at the best of times to express my joy and my thankfulness to the Lord. And I cannot speak with a dead dryness to men who are perishing in their sin. You know, God has given us hearts to worship Him to praise Him. We are not lifeless creatures. He wants our hearts. He says, my son, give me thine heart. He wants our voices. He wants our praise. And He wants us to honor Him at all times. No flippancy. But at the same time, no dead formalism, my friends. These things kill the church and kill true worship of the living God. May God spare us from both. And may we know the joy of the Lord. The psalmist tells us that we are to rejoice with trembling. Thank God we can do that. We can rejoice in the forgiveness of our sins. In all that we have in the Lord Jesus Christ. But also, you know, the Lord says, work out your salvation in fear and in trembling. For it is God that worketh in you to will and to do his good pleasure. And the Bible says, pursue peace with all men. Hear it. And holiness, without which no man shall see the Lord. The Lord wants us to be joyful. But the Lord also wants us to be holy. We must avoid flippancy. But friends, 
Avoid dead formalism because it is a plague and it's only designed to impress men and to give an appearance. How many have an appearance? But deny the power thereof. No power of God in the heart, in the life. No joy. Or let us walk. Not as Michal. Let us worship, worship as David and as the people did. And may God be pleased to bow down and to bless us. May Christ be our joy and our strength in all that we do. May we not seek to be admired by men. So many are. That's what Michal wanted for David. And that is a, is a terrible vice. Let me just close with some words from the Apostle Paul, writing to proud Corinthians, many of them who boasted in their gifts and who boasted in men. He said this in 1 Corinthians 4, 6, And these things, brethren, I have in a figure transferred to myself and to Apollos for your sakes, that you might learn in us not to think of men above that which is written that no one of you be puffed up for one against another. For who maketh thee to differ from another? And what hast thou that thou didst not receive? Now if thou didst receive it, why dost thou glory? As if thou hast not received it, now ye are full, now ye are rich, ye have reigned as kings without us. And I would to God that ye did reign, that we also might reign with you. For I think that God hath set forth us, the apostles, last, as it were appointed to death. For we are made a spectacle unto the world, and to angels, and to men. We are fools for Christ's sake, but ye are wise in Christ. We are weak, but ye are strong. Ye are honorable, but we are despised. Even unto the present hour, we both hunger and thirst and are naked and are buffeted and have no certain dwelling place and labor working with all our own hands. Being reviled, we bless. Being persecuted, we suffer. Being defamed, we entreat. We are made as the filth of the world and are the offscouring of all things unto this day. David says, or rather Paul says here, we are fools for Christ's sake. And David was happy to be that. David and Paul and all true believers who love God, if it means God's glory and others looking down upon them, they are willing to be despised of men. But friends, let us never be despised because we have somehow become flippant. Men should despise you. If you're flippant and men should despise you, if you are given over to dead formalism, you should be pitied. But you should not be pitied if you have real joy and real godly fear in your heart. May God give you that to the glory 
of his name. Amen.